0: storyline in 2 Samuel 15, and it came to pass after this that Absalom prepared him chariots and horses and 50 men to run before him. And Absalom rose early and stood beside the way of the gate. And it was so that when any man that had a controversy came to the king for judgment, then Absalom called unto him and said, Of what city art thou? And he said, Thy servant is one of the tribes of Israel. And Absalom said unto him, See, thy matters are good and right, but there's no man deputed of the king to hear thee. Absalom said, moreover, O, that I were judge in the land, that every man which hath any suit or cause might come unto me, and I would do him justice. And it was so that when any man came nigh to him, he did him obeisance. He put forth his hand and took him and kissed him. And on this manner did Absalom to all Israel that came to the king for judgment. So Absalom stole the hearts of the men of Israel. And it came to pass after 40 years. See that? You know what they tell you? There's an error in your King James Bible right there. Because it wasn't 40 years. Absalom had not been home 40 years. But actually, when you run the cross references, you find out that 40 years ago, David had a wife that got pregnant with a little boy named Absalom. That Bible in front of you is perfect. And the stupid scholars that can't run cross-references will look at that stuff and say, See, there's a mistake in the Bible. Start making you doubt the Bible in front of you. God wrote it like that on purpose to see whether or not you'll believe God and study to show yourself approved unto God or start criticizing it so you can throw it out and live however the heck you want to live. Amen. That after Absalom said unto the king, I pray thee, let me go and pay my vow which I vowed unto the Lord in Hebron. Ab- Absalom is 40 years old and David's up in his 60s. He's old enough to know better than to do what he's doing. For thy servant vowed a vow, liar, while I abode in Jeshur in Syria, saying, If the Lord will bring me again indeed to Jerusalem, then will I serve the Lord. And the king said unto him, Go in peace. So he arose and went to Hebron. And Absalom sent spies throughout all the tribes of Israel, saying, As soon as ye hear the sound of the trumpet, then ye shall say, Absalom reigneth in Hebron. And with Absalom went 200 men out of Jerusalem that were called, and they went in their simplicity, and they knew not anything. So Absalom subtly deceived these men. And Absalom sent for Ahithophel the Gilonite, David's counselors from his city, even from Gilo, while he offered sacrifices. And the conspiracy was strong, for the people increased continually with Absalom. And there came a messenger to David, saying, The hearts of the men of Israel are after Absalom. And David said unto all his servants that were with him at Jerusalem, Arise and let us flee, for we shall not else escape from Absalom. Make speed to depart, lest ye overtake us suddenly, and bring evil upon us, and smite the city with the edge of the sword. And the king's servant said unto the king, Behold, thy servants are ready to do whatsoever my lord the king shall appoint. If you want to fight, we'll fight. But if you want to run, (laughs) all right, David, we'll run. What they're telling him is, you sure, David? Because if you want to fight, we'll kill him and we'll kill everybody with him because you're the king. And the king went forth and all his household after him. And the king left ten women, which were concubines, to king the, keep the house. And the king went forth and all the people after him and tarried in a place that was far off. Let's pray. Father, again, we come to you this morning not because we always pray before we preach and after we read the text, but because we really need you. And I beg you now this morning, Father, to help me. Lord, this passage of Scripture is heavy, and the need for this message is strong. But Lord, without you, nothing's going to get done this morning, and I, I know that. I know it. So I ask you, please, God, to do what only you can do this morning, and help the people that are here speak to their hearts. Help us to recognize in us those things that are natural, that displease you. And help us to learn to crucify the flesh with the affections and lusts. And then, God, help us to recognize you wrote this book to give us some good examples as well. And to make a choice this morning to lay down our lives at your feet. And to allow you to guide and direct every step of the way, every day. Help us to desire to draw closer to you and to walk with you. We pray in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. All right, you can be seated this morning. I'll never forget, years, years ago, Brother Jim Lentz used to tell me, and he told me more than once, as a young preacher, all full of, all full of spit and vinegar, man. I just, you think I'm full of spit and vinegar now? You should have known me 20 years ago. He used to say, Mike, you better be careful about frustrated ambition. Frustrated ambition will kill young preachers more than anything else. But let me say this, it's not just young preachers it kills. It kills everybody you realize you live in a world that tells you to have ambition. I mean, the world system is operated that way. The world, the flesh, and the devil are the three enemies of the Christian. And they work together so beautifully that you can't hardly tell the difference. And sometimes there might not be much of a difference. They might be working just together so well and so smoothly, you can't really distinguish. There's a lot of wisdom in the world. The Bible tells us that. And there's this mentality that says go after it and be all you can be and you're something special and there's only one of you and be yourself and express yourself and anything you want to be, you can be. If you think it and you believe it, then you can do it. Believe and achieve. Can I tell you, never a bigger bunch of garbage sold to an entire generation than that kind of cotton-picking foolishness. Yeah, listen to me, listen. I'll, I'll, forgive me for a second, okay? I'm just going to go ahead and just start being me already. Visitors, this is the way it is, all right? So I'm not going to lie to you and pretend to be something I'm not. I would love to be the world's strongest man. Don't you guys say, come on, gentlemen. Like, come on, we can be men. Men are still men, okay? Just so you know that. <laughs> and it's okay for you as a man to go ahead and be a man, and you don't have to apologize to anybody on the planet for it. If they don't like it, look at somebody else. I don't care. Isn't it kind of cool to watch a guy, like, grab a ridiculous amount of weight, an inhuman amount of weight, with these massive ham hock, like meat hooks, hanging off the edge of, I guess those are arms that are bigger than my quads. You understand what I'm saying? And go, and then blood starts coming out of his, excuse me, ladies, blood starts coming out of his nose, but he locks it out. Believe and achieve, man. I will never be the world's strongest man, okay? My entire body weight equals Brian Shaw's left quad. You understand what I'm saying? That is the biggest bunch of foolishness you ever heard in your entire life. Do you realize, like, I I try to study after some of that stuff because we're all spiritual, right? We're saved and we're spiritual, but there's also a human side to all of us. And so I think a good, clean, wholesome hobby is good for everybody, especially some people that are ex- extra hyper. keeps you out of trouble. Yeah. I study after some of those guys, and I, I like that stuff. Do you know some of the greatest trainers that exist on the planet? Guys that make the professionals, make the world champions, make the world's strongest men, make Mr. Olympia. Do you know some of those guys really badly wanted to be Mr. Olympia, world champion, world's strongest man? But really, what I know of a couple of them specifically just said, Look, I realized at one point after becoming a professional bodybuilder and getting on big stage, Arnold Classic, and all big, I realized I don't got what those guys got. There's, there's a God given, like natural genetic, there's things about their physique that you can't build into. You either are born with it or you're not born. And he said, I recognize I don't have it. Right. So I put my ambition aside. And I recognize what I am. What God has, I'm adding this part in, what God has given me. And some of those guys that can't ever become the world champion can actually train and create world champions. And in and of their own right, they become famous and wealthy and big name celebrities. And all the greatest of the great come and sit at their feet and learn from them. Do you know why? They figured out, listen, my ambition is selfish. My ambition is my will, wanting with my life, what I see for myself. Literally what you're being brainwashed in today, it is, watch this, it is demonic. Go to the book of Isaiah real quick with me. I want to show you where the root of ambition is. Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, Song of Solomon, Isaiah. You think I'm doing that to help you, I'm doing it for me. Isaiah, Isaiah, Isaiah chapter number 12. If you find the book of Psalms, that's easy enough. Keep going to your right. Find Isaiah, I said chapter 12, I meant chapter 14, verse 12. I want to show you the root of ambition. It says in Isaiah 14, 12, How art thou fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning? How art thou cut down to the ground, which did weaken the nations? By the way, I think I've got to mention this. You know your, your new Bibles will change that sun of the morning to like morning star and that kind of thing? Do you know what they do? They give the name of Lucifer to Jesus Christ and the name of Jesus Christ to Lucifer. Anyways, I can show it to you in, in better detail later, but just put that in the back of your head. This is an easier to understand translation. Oh, I'll bet it is. Serpent's more subtle than any beast. I understand this one better. Good, and you're missing what God has for you. How art thou fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning? How art thou cut down to the ground, which didst weaken the nations? For thou hast said in thine heart, I will ascend unto heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will sit also upon the mountain, the congregation, and the sides of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the most high. You know what Lucifer's problem was? The first time sin ever appeared in all of eternity, it was not even the garden. It was Lucifer in a perfect place, in perfect fellowship with God, filled with the gifts of God, the most beautiful, gifted, and powerful being God had created outside of God himself. It was Lucifer. And you know what the first sin was? It was ambition in Lucifer to be something God did not make him to be. And what happened to him? Yet thou shalt be brought down to hell to the sides of the pit, You know what ambition will do for you? It'll destroy you. Back to 2 Samuel chapter number 15. One of the greatest types in the Old Testament of the Antichrist himself is Absalom. What he has is he's got a tremendous amount of ambition in him. Now, give me a second here to put a parenthesis in here. Do you know you ought to have a certain level of I want to be the best that I can be? Not all ambition is necessarily sinful ambition. Do you, do you understand that? Yeah. You live in a sloth generation as well. While they're being told you can be anything you want, they sit around and don't go to work. That's right. That's right. Yeah. You, you ought to want to do the best you can. Yeah, that's right. Sinful ambition is when you're not happy with God's will for your life. Sinful ambition is when you want to be something God did not create you to be. Sinful ambition is when you want yourself exalted and recognized. Actually, the dictionary, Webster's 1828, dictionary definition of the word ambition is desirous of power. Desirous of honor or office. Desiring superiority or excellence. You want to be better than somebody else. It's eager for fame. Showy. You, do you not see how that's our entire generation? Yeah. Everybody wants to go viral. Everybody's showing off all the time. You know what that is? It's sin in the human nature. We need to watch out for this ambition because, listen, it destroyed two worlds already. It has destroyed the original creation. It's destroying this world, and you have not seen the worst of it yet. And it was all rooted in somebody that wanted ambition, wanted exaltation. You know what I've seen destroy churches? You know what I've seen destroy families? Destroy Christians in their individual walk with Jesus Christ? Ambition. That old man knew something when he said, boy, you better watch out for frustrated ambition. He was telling me to watch out for it in myself. And boy, did I ever recognize it after he pointed it out. And he wasn't too nice about it either. But that's how it stuck in my head. And then I've watched out for it because he was telling me on a, on a, on a two-fold way, in a two-fold level, watch out for it in the church. And boy, have I not seen it. And it's how we're wired I want to help you with the frustrated ambition that's natural to all of us. You'll be happy with your house. You'll be happy with your car. You'll be happy with your kids, with your income, with your spouse until your friend or your enemy buys a nicer house, has a better marriage, has smarter, more successful, prettier kids, it's okay, you can loosen up. I know we all think our kids are the greatest, but, you know, whatever. <laughs> and then all of a sudden, your drive, your desire, they get recognized and you don't, and that desire for recognition, well, why, why is he getting promoted and I'm not? You know what you and I ought to want more than anything else in the entire world, listen to me, more than anything in the entire world, we ought to want whatever God wants for us. What do you want out of life? Nothing. But God. Do you know God knows what you can handle? God knows what you need. I don't want one more dollar than I can control God's way. I don't want one more church member than I can feed and pastor God's way. I don't want one more vehicle than I can take care of God's way. Do you understand what I'm saying? We ought to have this. this It's what I tell a lot of people. You ought to take the checkbook out, write the check to the Lord Jesus Christ, leave the box blank, leave the line blank, sign it, and give it to them. And don't be disappointed what he, put, what's he what he puts on there. It's his life that you're living. Yeah. Three things in the passage. First of all, so we don't wind up like Absalom. How did Absalom get here? He failed to protect his heart. Proverbs chapter 4, verse 23 says, Keep thy heart with all diligence, for out of it are the issues of life. Absalom failed to protect his heart. He had grown bitter, he had grown angry, and he had grown vengeful because of the injustices that went on in his life. And every last person in this room has injustices that have happened and will happen in your life. I'm telling you right now. And Listen, the closer we get to the coming of Jesus Christ and the more this nation falls away from God and Bible and biblical principles and even the church today has literally taken the Bible and kicked it out. How dare you? How dare you preach against the sin of the world? How dare you preach against fornication, let alone homosexuality, trans, and all the rest of the stuff that's going on? Why do you bring that up? Because your kids are getting brainwashed everywhere else they go with it. They're getting desensitized to it. It's absolutely everywhere. If I don't preach against it, what do you have backing you up besides you? It, this thing's getting worse. Do you understand what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah. We got to be very careful to guard our heart because sin is painful. Yeah. Sin brings pain. It brings heartbreak. It promises you pleasure. It promises you satisfaction. And yeah, it's a little fun for a minute or two, but it is so destructive, it'll rip everything apart and leave you helpless, tied up and stuck. Stuck. The problem is you can live as holy as you want, do as right as you want, but you can't control the decisions other people make. Not even your own kids. Yes, control them when they're little, please, for the rest of us. But there comes a point where they got to make their own decisions. And you got to let them or you're going to drive them absolutely crazy and make them bitter and provoke them to anger. Start letting them make some decisions. Living in my house. Yeah, they're living in my house, so there's some standards, right? You're not doping, you're not fornicating, You're not there, there's, some, there's some standards. You can do all that. If you want to do that, you move out. That's right. Outside of that, I mean, what are you going to do? How much are you going to control them? Right. They've got to make their own decisions. Gentlemen, you, you guiding your wife and guiding your home and being the man of the home and loving her as Christ loves the church and ruling your own house well and all that stuff, that doesn't mean you micromanage her personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Ladies, you can't control him. You can make him miserable for a while and maybe get some results out of it, but it ain't going to work out for you long, long term. You understand what I'm saying? Listen, I'm going to give you an old school. This one's really going to rip some people out of the frame, okay? I'm not, try- I'm not trying to be mean. I'm not- it's just reality. If a man don't rule the roost, he will fly the coop. That's an old one from Dr. Ruckman back in the day. And that's the truth. You can't control everybody else. And as a result of sin in the world, you're going to have your heart broken. It's your response to that heartbreak that determines whether or not you mess up or stay close to the Lord. Whether or not you become an Absalom or you become a David. Absalom got bitter. He got angry. He got vengeful because something had happened and it wasn't right. Here's the issue. Watch how layered this gets. Not only does he have a legitimate problem with Amnon. Somebody told me last week, man, I have more compassion for Absalom than I ever have before. You know, I heard you talking about like, yeah, for sure. I mean, he he raped his sister. It was Absalom's full sister. It was Amnon's half-sister. Amnon rapes his sister, a violent, ridiculous, wicked man, then throws her away. Hey, according to the Old Testament, here's how it works. If a man violated his sister like that, that man was to be exiled out of Israel. Incestual sins, they said, do not put up with that in this nation. And when you find out incestual sins go on, those people guilty, get them out. Don't have them. He was to be kicked out of the nation. Did David kick him out? The man after God's own heart, the king? I was a son. And like Brother Lynch said, (laughs) besides watch out for frustrated ambition, I'm just passing on to you what was given to me, okay? So this stuff I repeat myself on, it's because he repeated himself and it stuck with me and it's helped me. So I'm hoping to help you. You know what he said? Blood's thicker than the Bible. You know what a rare gem it is when you find a Christian that will side with truth against their own family? you got no idea how much respect I have for somebody that says, I love my kid, I love my spouse, I love my mom, I love my grandma, I love my auntie and uncle and all the rest of that stuff, but they're wrong. Even David himself kind of got weak on that one, and it was because of his own personal guilt. It's because he knew, man, well, I messed up. God was merciful to me, now my kid messed up. I wonder if it's because of my testimony that caused my kid to do that. I, I'm just, I I can't. Yeah, but listen, God's the one that dishes out the grace and mercy when he feels like it, and God's the one who judges. And when the law said, this is what happens when a man does this, Amnon did not have the heart David had. He had sin in his heart. and David had sin in his nature, different thing. David repented and got it right, Amnon didn't. David failed to do what God said he should do. Number two, according to the Old Testament law, if a man rapes a woman that's single, he is to marry her and take care of her the rest of his life and he's not allowed to ever put her away. He's not allowed to ever divorce her. You wanted to violate her? Now you take care of her and you treat her good until she dies or you die. Did that happen? No. Didn't happen, did it? If the woman is betrothed, if she's engaged to be married and a man rapes her, you kill him. Aren't you glad you're in the New Testament? You get to pay their bills forever while they sit in jail for a few years. Back then, that was how God handled it. And guess what Absalom saw? Complete injustice. Hey, listen. Nothing will get you worse then when you're serving the Lord, and you're going to church, and something wrong happens. Lord willing, not on that kind of a level. Something wrong happens. And you know the right thing to do, but the right thing is never done. And you sit back hurt, and it looks like the person that tore your life apart is being blessed. Because their ambition is going to present their life to you as though they're happy and they're successful and they're doing great and they know you're looking. Some of you need to just go home and get on your social media. I know we're not ever going to get everybody off of social media. It would be great if we could. But literally nowadays like businesses run that way, force employees to be on it. So we're never going to get everybody. It's a reality that's here, but it's an extremely dangerous and destructive reality. Some of you need to go home and unfollow some people because you're just hurting yourself. You're not protecting your heart. You need to quit looking at their stinking life. You need to quit looking at what they're presenting to you to be reality when it ain't reality. They're literally 10 to 15 pounds heavier than they're showing you they are. And I'll guarantee you they're 10 to 20 years older. You understand what I'm saying after you hit a certain point anyways. You need to protect your heart. You need to realize that life isn't fair. Stop trying to make everything fair all the time. Hey, Jesus is going to do that when he sits on the throne in Jerusalem and we're looking for his coming. Cheer, my comrades, cheer. But until then, you better prepare your heart. Because the devil will use that stuff to rip your guts out, rot your soul and get you frustrated. What's happening is you've got an ambition for things to turn out in a way they're not turning out. Yeah. I always say it, it ain't what you thought it is. <laughs> I'm really not I have more information. I maybe need to get more information, but it really is the truth. Life is tough. And you need to realize your heart has to be protected. Keep thy heart with all diligence. For out of it are the issues of life. You know the only safe place for me to put my heart and keep it there? Follow your heart. You can't control love. Love is love. Don't judge. Well, that's all a bunch of psychobabble. You understand that? That is psycho babble. That is foolishness. That's a complete, absolute, and total lie. Love is a choice. Jesus Christ laid down his life for his enemies. Greater love hath no man than this than that a man laid down his life for his friends. Jesus died for his enemies. God is love. He understands love. And he sent his son to take our sin on himself. It was a choice. You weren't very lovable and neither am I. Look at my face it's a choice God is love the essence of the origin of the meaning of the definition of love is God and he chose to love you and he chooses to love sinners that hate him protect your heart well I just don't love each other like we used to stop stop not loving each other you choose it You better protect your heart or you'll wind up messed up. And what the essence of those disappointments are is, I wanted a different thing for my life. I wanted a different outcome, and God's not doing it the way I wanted it done. My will! I think that should be... Okay, Absalom. You're going to mess up. Absalom overstepped then and took matters into his own hands. the more you see the injustice is not being fixed the sooner you're going to do something God doesn't want you to do Absalom said okay if dad ain't going to deal with Amnon I'll deal with him alright God's going to let him get away with that I'll end him you understand you understand nobody gets away with anything you cannot out chess play God he's the master chess player He knows exactly what he's doing. And when you overstep to bring justice to something that's bothering you, because it's not turning out the way you want, you start messing with God's plans. We talked about that already, messing with God's business. Now, thankfully, in the New Testament, we're to submit to every ordinance of man, right? And if somebody goes ahead and rapes somebody, guess what we do? The will of God, the revealed will of God, according to the book of Romans chapter 13, I believe it is. We call the police. You don't let somebody get away with a crime like that or a sin like that, and then hide it under well, we're just going to let God handle it. No, God told you how to handle it in the New Testament. Are we haven't fun yet. I'm not talking about letting people get away with that kind of thing. I'm talking about when somebody's hurt you, it's not turning out right, it ain't fair, and it looks like God's blessing somebody that's done you wrong. You ever been there? Yes. I have. I have. Boy, you start looking at that thing going, I want God to bless me because I want to rub it in their face. You never say that. But that's exactly what's going on down deep in your psyche. And God's like, you ain't ready to be blessed. So you take matters into your own hands. Absalom had become vain and self-centered. Look back at chapter number 14. Look at verse 25. This is what happens when you don't protect your heart. You grow bitter, vengeful, and angry. You overstep and take matters into your own hands. And you become vain and self-centered. But in all Israel there was none to be so much praised as Absalom for his beauty. From the sole of his foot, even to the crown of his head, there was no blemish in him. He never had a zit. Not a mole, not a zit, not a freckle. He was a beautiful man. And he started thinking it was him. He'd have his hair cut every year and he'd pull his hair, he'd weigh it when he'd cut it. I forget what it was, it said how, many, how much weight it was. I think it come out to like three to five pounds or something like that. A lot of hair, man. Beautiful, thick head of hair. You know what he was? He was vain and self-centered. Anybody getting the application to this society? We've taught our children to be that way. Yeah. We've taught them everybody's a celebrity. You can be whatever you want. It's all about you. Facebook, YouTube. It's all about you all the time. Listen, if you've got some gift, where do you think you got it from? That's right. I'll put it this way. This may be offensive too. Why weren't you born in some sandy desert somewhere in the Middle East with a towel on your head? Right. Why weren't you born in a hut in Haiti? How did you get here? Oh, before you were born, you and God negotiated, and he recognized how awesome you were, so he let you be born in the United States of America and gave you everything you got. What do we have that we didn't receive? If you are better looking than everybody else, and more gifted than everybody else, and a better athlete than everybody else, and you're so much smarter than everybody else, do you not realize that God could take that away way faster than you ever got it? You're not as important. I, you guys know I love you, right? I really I mean that from my heart. But you're not as important as you think you are. Right. You're not as special as you think you are. There are billions of people on the planet, and a lot of them are better looking than you. That's right. Vanity is ambition. Vanity is saying, look at me. Lucifer in the book of Ezekiel was beautiful when he was created. And when he looked in the mirror, he said, my, my, my. Didn't God do a great job with that one? It'll ruin you. Ambition makes you feel like you're supposed to be the bride at every wedding and the corpse at every funeral. To steal one from Dr. Peacock. If it's good, I'll steal it. Amen? I mean, on the 4th, 4th, right? Good. My memory's still hanging in there. It's going to be all about her. And it's supposed to be. Sorry, tell Ethan, sorry. It's not all about him. Nobody's looking at the groom, okay? Do you understand that? She's spending the whole day trying to be the most beautiful woman in the room. She's going to have the prettiest dress, the most... Od- She's trying to get herself ready to present herself to her groom, and all eyes are going to be on her, right? Yeah. How dare you walk in in a wedding dress on her wedding day? <laughs> See? But, but I need to be the center of attention. Everybody needs to say hi to me. I mean, you're standing by the casket, and as they're going by, you're making sure that everybody sees you, you know? I'm having a really hard time. and I got a lot of problems, and I need you to pray for me. We're really struggling right now. We just have all these. It's been so hard on us lately. You're not supposed to always be the number one. Once in a while, somebody else might be more important than you. Somebody else might have a bigger need than you. Every once in a while, it's okay for the prettier and the more popular person to go to the dork, you know, the weird one that nobody wants to be around, the goofy one that makes everything kind of awkward, like, (laughs) do we laugh at that joke or do we not laugh at that joke or do we smile, you know what I'm saying? And just say, hey, how you doing today? But ambition's going to make sure that you know that you're on top all the time and everybody recognizes how great you are. It's a destructive thing especially in church. They say the ground is level at the foot of the cross, but it sure don't act like it when you come to church a lot of times, do you? You've got to watch out for your heart. Your heart will tell you you're more important than you are. Your heart will tell you that it's okay for you to nurse your wounds. I'm not trying to downplay any problems that people have gone through. I'm, I genuinely am not. I promise. But a trick of that a subtle trick of the devil is to keep your focus always on your pain points. I've watched it. I've watched bereavement and I'm not down, please understand, please. I am not downplaying bereavement. I've watched it ruin people that God's not done with yet. It almost can become, I'm not making this accusation if somebody's struggling for a long time. It almost can become a selfish thing. I've definitely seen this. I know of individuals I'm not going to name. I've definitely seen them forever working 25 years later, the fact that, you no, I lost my wife. You treated her like garbage for 40 years, man. She was your servant, your slave, you didn't care to spend time with her back then unless you, you were ready. But for 25 years, you're nursing that wound and you're babying that thing and it's your way to become the bride at every wedding and the corpse everywhere you go. He's never been the same since his wife passed. Yeah. It's all about you, ain't it? That's ambition. That's I haven't found any other way to get everybody's attention and to make myself number one, so I just figured it out. It's destructive. Number two, you better prepare. You better 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 protect your heart. Number two, you need to allow the proper processes of life to take their path. Now, here's what I mean. Look at verse number one in chapter 15. Came to pass after this that Absalom prepared him chariots and horses and fifty men to run before him. You know what Absalom did? He jumped the process. Let me show you what I'm talking about. Go back to 1 Kings, or go to the right to 1 Kings, 1 Kings chapter number 1. Let me show you the right way to bring a king in when he's about to sit on the throne, but he's not quite king yet. 1 Kings chapter 1, look at verse 33. And the king also said unto them, Take with you the servants of your lord, and cause Solomon my son to ride upon a mule, and bring him down to Gihon. You know how a king's supposed to enter the city when he's about to be coronated as the king to sit on the throne of judgment? They're to put him on a mule and to ride him. You remember the Lord? How'd he enter? Somebody is a type of and following the pattern of the Lord Jesus Christ and somebody's not. The person that's following the pattern of the Lord Jesus Christ is humble and lowly riding upon an ass and a colt the full of an ass. He's entering into something that God's prepared him for. He's put the work in. He's put the time in. And God has proven that that is the man that I want. So God set him up. Of all the sons, of all the men in the kingdom, God said Solomon's going to rule on your throne. So put him on a mule and ride him in there before those people as an example of a man who's going to use his position to serve other people rather than make himself the center of everything all the time. Put him on on a mule and ride him in there humbly. That's the right way to come in. You know what Absalom does? Just like the Antichrist. He gets him a white horse. He gets him a bunch of guys. He says, I'm ready. Takes 40 years to make a message because it takes God 40 years to make a man. And I'm 40 years old. It's my time. I've earned it. I've washed those feet long enough. I've washed the hands of Elijah long enough. I've done my time. I'm ready. I've learned it all. Give me a horse. Going in there to set up my kingdom. He jumped the process. You can go ahead and think it and be it all you want. And even if you're successful, that does not mean God puts you there. Do you want success in life that God doesn't give you? No. Do you? Go ahead. Follow the pattern that you see all over the TV and all over social media and all over the internet. Follow their pattern. See how many of those people actually have found joy, actually have found fulfillment, actually have found a good, loving environment and a strong psyche and a strong heart and a great future. They're miserable. Fame and money will not make you happy. Power, promotion, it ain't going to do it for you. You need God. That's right. Amen. You need Jesus Christ more than anything in the whole world. That's right. And then after that, as you pursue him, where he leads you, you follow. In other, word, the, the, in other words, the right road ends up at the right place. That's right. Folks, there's been a lot of preaching over the years that really has messed people's minds up. One of those preaching is you know you better get involved because God's going to put you on a shelf, brother. Well, would you please turn that chapter and verse and show me that, please? I literally heard a fundamentalist preacher on the podcast, right? It's literally saying what we need to do is we need to get them saved and then give them a job to do in the church. I, I, I mean, really. You literally, and they're like, oh, yeah, brother, they need to be working. You need to get them working. Yeah, that's how it works. All of you that have had children, you give birth, the doctor cleans them up, you swaddle them, you get them home, and you put them on the dishes. Right? I mean, you just drop them on the stove and say, cook dinner, kid. That is not God's process. You don't know what you're working for until you know who you're working for. When they get saved, you you, you get them in and you gotta clean them up because they're always making a mess. And the more you feed them, this is a little trick just for those of you that don't know, the more you feed them... (laughs) the more of a mess they make. And then sometimes they get sick. And you're, oh, you, you, you're cute. And they're, Bleh! And they, That little thing, like, it's almost like the exorcist movie. You know what I'm saying? Like, the stream hits you right in the face. They're messy and they're a lot of work and they don't give back much. But you keep feeding them. You keep coming to church. You keep sitting in the pew. You keep asking questions. You keep opening the Bible. You keep asking questions. You keep coming to church. You keep sitting in the pew. You're following Jesus Christ. You're letting him show you what you need to see. You're feeding on the word of God. You're on the right path if you're following the Lord. And you know what he does with time? They get a little bit older, and you say, hey, honey, Here's the plates. Don't drop them and break them. I could go off on that one, but we won't, okay? (laughs) We're still kind of considering maybe starting to buy matching stuff now. You know what I'm saying? (laughs) And you put these on the table, and then they they set the table. You say, good job, and then you'll fix it behind them, right? (laughs) You know, by the time ours are about 15, they pretty much can run a house. I mean, like, they can cook dinner, they can do dishes, they can do laundry and put it away, they can run vacuums, they can deep clean, they can bake. It took 15 years. They're not doing it at mom's level yet. But pretty good. You know there's a process in life? Although I want the will of God. And if I miss the will of God... And they're sitting there waiting, am I called or am I not called? And they're waiting for this emotional experience in church, the day God called me. What does that mean? I know we've heard that preached and your mind is programmed to define it, but please somebody tell me, show me, chat, what does that mean? Do you know the day you got saved, the day you were born again, the gifts and callings that God has given you are in you. It's like the DNA in a baby. God knew that I was never going to be a professional power lifter. He knew he was cutting it off at 5'6". I'm happy with it. I wasn't for years, but it didn't change. (laughs) I mean, listen, for those of you that don't know, my dad's 6'2 in Irish. My mom's Sicilian. I could have been tall, dark, and handsome. God's still laughing, you know what I mean? (laughs) God knew, and, and in me, in the DNA structure that God had given me, it was already done. Do you understand that? Yeah. It just took me like 16, 17 years to realize I quit growing two years ago and I'm going to be five, six. As you follow Jesus Christ and grow in the Lord, the right road just leads out at the right place, and you, like, as you grow, you figure out. What God put in you, God bring, he worketh in you to will and to do of his good pleasure. Solomon jumped, Absalom jumped the process. He decided it was his time and so he's going to make it happen. And he starts manipulating the thing. We read the story already. He's going over, he's manipulating the hearts of the people. One of the ways you know you're jumping the process is you put man's opinion of you ahead of God's. He's over there. He's, oh, hey, man, I'm so glad you came today. You know, the preacher's busy. He's in a meeting right now. He's always got these meetings, but, but you matter. You matter. I know he didn't know. Hey, I know the preacher didn't say hi to you, but I just wanted to make sure that I shook your hand and told you I'm happy to see you today. If there's anything I can do to help you, you just let me know. And he's like, and he's doing obeisance. He's, hi, how are you? Good to see you. He's so humble and he's so sweet. He's a demon. He's, he, every last one of those guys, he'd their throat th- 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 just like that and watch them bleed out, dump them there. Hey, look, lady, that's your husband. He's as, he's as wicked as they come. But boy, he's making sure that everybody likes him. He's making sure he's popular. He's making sure he's ministering to, oh, that somebody was deputy of the king. He just, if I was, if I was in charge, I would do it better. He's jumping the process. He ain't in charge. If God wanted him to do it better, God would put him there. He starts undermining the authority that God put in place. David never did that. He's undermining King David. He's beginning to just plant doubt in people's minds as to whether or not David is a good king and the right king and doing things the right way. He's cutting the process. Well, I watch it all the time. That ambition, right? Right? A desire, that failure to prepare your heart makes you want to start hurrying up in life and getting somewhere you're not supposed to be yet. Yeah. Like I heard it explained, the devil gets behind good people and pushes them to do a good thing faster than they're ready. And that way he shoves them right off a cliff. You know how often you go to church and there's pressure in that church to live up to the standard Everybody's exerting pressure. Instead of letting people come in, and if they really want truth, and they're really trying, give God some time to work on them and clean them up and get them where they need to be. (laughs) Hurry up! Why? Souls are dying and Jesus is coming, and we need to go win the world! Okay, run off into a battle you're not ready for and get your cotton-picking head blown off. What good are you then? Or slow down and let God judge your heart because He'll judge you at the judgment based on your heart. And grow and let God prepare you and train you and get you ready. And then God will cut you loose when God's ready to cut you loose and you'll survive the battle. That's why I don't like pressure in people. That's why I say the number one thing is be faithful, just come and grow. Enjoy where you're at. If you don't enjoy where you're at and what God's given you, you won't enjoy when you get the next thing your ambition is telling you you want. Learn to walk with God today. Learn to thank God for what you have today. Learn to be happy today. And the only way to do that is to have that heart infatuated with the Lord Jesus Christ and who he is because he will show up in his fullness and in his presence right now. That's something you can all have you just got to want it. You see, Jesus really is the answer to everything. Yeah. Trying to push him to, to get something done, he's jumping the process. He's not waiting on God, letting God do what God wants to do in his life when God wants to do it, if God wants to do it. It's the polar opposite of his father David. The proper process in your life has to, get, has to take place. Or you'll mess up. Your ambition will take over. The last thing I want you to notice, and we're almost done. You better premeditate the fallout of what you do. You know what Absalom did not do? He did not premeditate what the fallout of trying to take that throne was going to be. He didn't stop and say, now wait a second. If God doesn't want me to be the king, what's going to happen to me? If God still wants dad on that throne, and I try to take that throne, what's going to come of me? What does the Bible say about a son like me who's rebellious and usurps authority? On top of that, not just the authority of a parent, the Bible says a son that's rebellious in the Old Testament was to be stoned. Not, but I'm going to make a double offense, and I'm going to try to take a man off a position of leadership over God's people that God put him in. You just mark it down and you watch a man like that and you wait and see what comes of him. I see a guy like that and I get away from him. Just do your thing, man. And I pray for you. I wish you the best of luck and the mercy and grace of God. But get away from me. Because you're playing with fire. You're not premeditating the fallout of your decisions. Your ambition and your frustration your desire to control everything. Hey, it's rubbing off on your kids. Your bitterness and your hurts. They did this to me and they did that to me. You're wrecking your kids. More is caught than taught. Well, you never taught him that. Yeah, you did. Oh, I never said that one time. You lived it. Premeditate the fallout of your decisions. This man didn't consider it at all. He takes 200 David has how many in the passage? David has six hundred. I told you he's a type of Lucifer, didn't I? A third of the stars of heaven. I got that's one. I got half a dozen or more. I could show you. This man is a type of the antichrist. But look at King David. I want you to see the opposite of this man. Here's King David, and he's got a right to the throne, right? All the hearts of the men of Israel are after his son. God's put him on the throne. God's proven that God wants him on the throne. Look at verse 14. David says, Arise and let us flee, for we shall not else escape from Absalom. Make speed to depart, lest you overtake us suddenly and bring evil upon us and smite the city with the edge of the sword. You know what David said? If I stand and fight that boy, these innocent people are going to die. He premeditated the fallout of his decision. David literally said, if I fight for what's mine, innocent people will get slaughtered. Let's go. David could have fought. Don't you kid me. And David's men would have smoked Absalom and his men. Absalom didn't have the hearts of his men. He manipulated them and lied to them. David had the hearts of his men. Those men would have died on a battlefield for their king. You do not want to fight a man who's willing to die. You understand what I'm saying? There's like tough guys and then there's like legit. A legit tough guy, do not start a fight with him unless you're willing to die or kill him. You understand what I'm saying? you willing to kill him? You're a tough guy, huh? You're going to kill him. you you ready to kill him? Okay, then Fight. That was David's men. They would have obliterated Absalom and his fellas. But guess what? David said, I don't want those kids to get hurt. I don't want those women to get hurt. I don't want those women. That's a good leader right there. You know how David could be like that? Even when he had a just reason. He could be like that because look down with me, if you would please, at verse number 23. And all the country wept with a loud voice. And all the people passed over. The king also himself passed over the brook Kidron. And all the people passed over toward the way of the wilderness. And lo, Zadok also and all the Levites were with him bearing the ark of the covenant of God. And they set down the ark of God. And Abiathar went up until all the people had done passing out of the city. And the king said unto Zadok, carry back the ark of God into the city. If I shall find favor in the eyes of the Lord, he will bring me again and show me both it and his habitation but if he thus say i have no delight in thee behold here am i let him do to me as seemeth good to him david said i'm not going to take a chance on hurting those people he said get that ark back where it belongs you know what david's doing in the middle of his problem he's taking care of god's business and he's letting god take care of his business take that ark back where it belongs and he said If God wants me on the throne, God will put me back on the throne. But if God don't want me on the throne, then I don't want the throne. You see, you see, David, he had one ambition. His one ambition was God. That meant you took what was the most precious thing he had and he'd sacrificed for and worked for and prepared for and waited for and suffered to get And you rip that out of his heart and life. You just shred everything he built. You take his house. You take his cars. You rip his family apart. Violate his ten concubines on the roof in the sight of the sun. You just wreck everything he's got. And he goes, yeah, you know, I'm reaping what I sowed. And if God really gave me everything I deserved, it'd be worse than this. And if God loves me, God will put me back. And I'm going to make sure nobody else gets hurt because I've hurt enough people with my stupidity over the years. Well, it's my testimony. I've hurt enough people. I don't want to hurt anybody anymore. I don't want my ambition and my drive and my desire to hurt. I want to help people. But you can't get there without making God number one. He's got to be number one. And the second he falls from that position in your heart, you go right back to being an Absalom that fast. Now watch this and we're done. We'll close here. Look at verse 32. came to pass when David was come to the top of the mount where he what? He worshiped God. In the middle of his problem. You see back in verse 30 he goes up the ascent of the Mount of Olives. He's following the pathway Jesus Christ followed. And he's wailing. He's weeping and wailing. Just like the Lord. He's following the same pathway Jesus followed. And he's crying. And in the middle of all that pain and heartbreak after he's destroyed and lost everything, he worships God. Do you know what worship is? It's sacrifice. That's that's biblically what worship is. It's praise and worship. You're letting some culture or some movement define the word. Biblically, worship is sacrifice. You know what David did? David said, God, I got no ambition but you. And now you're taking everything away from me and I don't know if you're going to bring me back or not. But in this moment, I want you to know you're number one. And in my heartbroken state, I get on my face and I tell you you're God and whatever you do or don't do with my life is fine with me. I love you. That will keep you from being hurt by other people's ambition and that will keep you from becoming the Absalom that hurt others with your ambition. It's all about him. Let's stand to our feet this morning with our heads bowed and our eyes closed.